Father, as we just come to you in your word and asking you to instruct our hearts, God, just give us wisdom to understand, um, help us just as we accumulate knowledge from your word that we act upon what we've been given, that we not just sit idle and let it do nothing, but Lord, your word is alive and it's active and it penetrates and it is beneficial for us today, but only when we are doers of the word and not just hearers only. So God, just help us in our understanding and help us in just our practical living and living out this Christian walk, God, that you are glorified in it, that we learn from your word today and that we enact what we've learned. Thank you for the music that we've been able to sing, God, and the words that were part of the songs and, Lord, the truths that we found in there, that we would fasten ourselves to them and, God, that we would grow in them and that we would be molded and shaped more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And please guide us at this time that you're glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. And as you take your seats, would you turn with me to the book of First John? We're going to be closing out chapter 4 today. And it has been, I think, three Sundays since I've been able to give a teaching from the book of First John. Uh, Ray did a couple of Sundays, and then also Wes last Sunday, and really appreciate their time of study, the time that they took in preparing these messages for you, and I know that you were blessed by them. I did get an opportunity to listen to a couple of those messages, since we do record those, and they're available on uh, Spotify. They're also available on our church Facebook site, so I hope you'll take advantage of that. If you miss a Sunday, that you will go to the social media and uh, take advantage of that and study God's Word together. But as you make your way to 1 John chapter 4, we're going to be starting back in verse 15. I know Wes had covered this last week, but I feel like some of what we're going to be studying today is actually connected back to verse 15. So that's where we'll start in our reading this morning and then all the way to the end of the chapter. 1 John chapter 4, verses 15 through 21. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has, not, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And Ben, would you lift up this time in God's word? Amen. Thank you. 
So one of the words that just kind of stood out, out thematically as we were reading this together is that love uh, that is perfected, or it could also be translated a love that is accomplished, or a love that is completed, and it stands out as one of the main thematic thrusts of this text, or at least that was my takeaway in reading this, and we'll reason why I wanted to connect it back to verse 15 is so that we can see that the basis of this love is Jesus. The, the center of this love is Christ and who we confess him to be. We proclaim him to be the only son of God who was God himself sent to us. So it's important that we believe in the right Jesus because there are a lot of different Jesuses that are touted in world religions today. Some say he was just a good prophet. Some say he was just a good man. But we say he is the Son of God. And so foundational to this perfected, completed, accomplished kind of love in us is that we know the right Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. That is foundational to our belief in him is do we know him as God's one and only son who was sent by God as his perfect redemption plan for mankind. And that is the basis for this love in us. It starts with Jesus. We know Jesus is love defined to us. I believe Wes hit on this last week and that is if you want an authentication of the salvation that is in you that you have in Christ, look to see if you are loving like he loves. Now, his is the perfected kind of love. We are going to get things wrong. We're going to stumble along the way. But do we live out a pattern in our life that is marked by our love for Jesus and who we believe him to be? And it is not found in some sign gift to authenticate your salvation in you. If you love in this agape biblical way, you are his child and he is in you. And the love that you give to others gives evidence of that. This passage that I'm about to read from 1 Corinthians 13 is what many refer to as the love chapter of Paul, and it is often read at weddings, but what we often don't consider is the context in which Paul is writing this to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth seems to be touting all of these false evidences of salvation and looking at what we would say are the sign gifts. Is Do you speak in tongues or do you prophesy or do you have a special gift in your prayers to bring about healing in a person's life? And they're, they're touting these as their, the, the fruit of their salvation or the evidence of their salvation. And what Paul is doing is he's actually delivering a sharp rebuke to the church that is making it all about these special signs as a way of authenticating your salvation and even elevating certain gifts above other gifts. And it was causing division in the church. So there was a lot of strife going on and it was all centered around the wrong motives. What, what does your salvation look like? What authenticates salvation in you? And one will say, well, I have tongues, or will I have a gift of prophecy? Will I have this? And Paul's saying, no, it's not about that. And he rebukes them very sharply here. It's not tongues, prophecy, faith, healings, and the like. Paul comes and knocks them on the back of the head with this, and I guess for us as well, uh, because the word is living and it's still speaking today. But 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 10, this is what Paul brings us in or brings into focus for us he says if i speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love i am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal and if i have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if i have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love i am nothing 
If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So really, John... And what we've read in 1 John chapter 4 and Paul here in chapter 13 Corinthians, they are in perfect alignment, you know, which shouldn't come as any surprise to us since there is just one author of Scripture, the Holy Spirit, inspiring man to write it, but he's the author of it all. We come back to 1 John and we look at verses 15 and 16. And this same love that Paul defines for us, that is the love that Christ has shown to us in, to the perfect degree, is what should be seen in us. The kind of love that bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. John says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So Jesus is the definition of this perfected, Love, and this is the same love that John is writing to us about. You want evidence of salvation, look to see if there is this love. We are told in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, that we are to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The degree or the measure of how we are to love is Christ. He sets the standard for us, the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. So love perfected in us must begin with who we say that Jesus is. And that is that Jesus is God. And as God, he is the perfect representation of God. And since we know that God is love, therefore Jesus is love, and also his spirit in us is love. And since we know that God is love, therefore we know that we have his love in us. And if we say, well, I just don't think that I can love like this because you don't know what so-and-so has done to me. Uh, You didn't hear what they said to me. Well, just remember, we don't answer to man about this, but we have to give an answer to God. And you are just going to have to pray that God will give you the overcoming of circumstance kind of love for them. And it's not a situational kind of love. Like if we find ourselves in a situation where we're feeling really emotional about something and we're feeling moved by love for somebody, that's a situational kind of love. It's had because maybe they're reciprocating it back to us. But this love that we're speaking of, this agape kind of love, and I know it feels like it's repetitive, but it's repetitive for a reason. We need to get this kind of love. We need to understand it. We need to see how it's defined and how it should be lived out in us. If it's anything other than a 
If it's a situational kind of love, then it really isn't this kind of love. This is a love that overcomes the circumstance that we find ourselves in. It's not situational, but a love that loves regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the difficult personality. If it loves anyway, then it is his love. It's an accomplished love. It's a perfected love. This is not a love of the world or the things in the world. Now, John has already warned us not to have a love for the world or the things in it. The love that we are speaking of is a love for God's people. It's not motivated by prestige uh, or virtue signaling. signaling that seems to be a, a, a buzzword today. It isn't a flamboyant, you know, hey, look over here at how I'm loving kind of love. This love, it loves in public. It should be seen. It should be on display but it also loves when nobody is watching. It loves in the midnight hours in intercessory prayer. It's not out on the public square, you know, marching for so-called rights of others. It doesn't seek after its own gain. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So the confidence of our salvation rests in loving this way. Verse 16, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So to say that we have come to know and to believe are two different things. It is one thing to know, and it is another thing to believe. And John is bringing the two together in this one verse for us. Something that moves from the head knowledge to an expression of the heart, that the two have been joined and they're combined together, that it becomes our being where we can now say that we are practicing that abiding in Him. And as practicing that abiding, we're looking to Him as the source of our Christian life lived out here in this world. It's like an unshakable trust that becomes part of who we are in Him. Stephen Cole says here, when John says we have come to know and have believed, he uses a verb tense, the Greek perfect, that means we have come to know and believe in the past with continuing results in the present and in the future. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. It is based on the knowledge of something. It is based on the knowledge of who God is and who we claim Christ to be. And John and the apostles came to know and believe God's love for them in the person of Jesus Christ and his voluntary sacrifice on the cross. And so should we. We can know that we are abiding in him and him in us when we are loving others as we are enabled to do by the presence of his Holy Spirit in us. Because the Spirit of God in us is God, is, is love, and the motivator of love. And as I mentioned, the repetition is intentional, and even the, the message that we had for the children today, who is the motivator, who's the generator of this love within us? It is by God's Holy Spirit that we are enabled to love this way. In verse 17, 1 John chapter 4, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So let's begin to drill down into this perfected love that John is writing about because this love is supposed to do something in us. It's not just to sit idle and not be expressed in any outward way. 
people are supposed to be able to look at us and see a love of God that is manifested in us. And one of the first things that John is telling us about this perfected kind of love is that it has confidence in the day of judgment and that this perfected love also drives out fear. It is accomplished. It is doing something. And it finds itself in loving others. It does not need to fear the wrath of God in judgment. He says, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Because in salvation, God makes us new. He makes us a new creation. We aren't who we once were. Apart from him, we, we were rebellious. We were lost in our sin nature. We were depraved. And he took us. He saved us. He gave us a new heart. He cleansed us and washed us by the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so we are different spiritually. He clothes us in righteousness of his beloved son. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul says, And because of him, meaning Jesus, because of him you are in Christ Jesus. You are in him. You are found in him. Jesus became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In Christ, you are these things. You are now, that you now have the wisdom from God indwelling you because you're in Christ. You have his righteousness imputed to you. So now God does not see your own filthy rags, which we would call righteousness of our own doing or works-based righteousness. He sees the righteousness of Christ on us. We are being sanctified in him. We are redeemed in him. We no longer look like the world. He loves his son perfectly. And for those who are in Christ, God loves us this way. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. We are called the beloved of God, and that is who we are in Christ. We don't fear his wrath in judgment. God has for us a fierce kind of love like a parent has for their child because we are indeed his child. We are made his child through faith in Jesus Christ. So in Judgment, and we're looking ahead here at the final judgment is what John is writing about. When we all have to appear before God, before Christ, and give an account that for the one who is found in him, we should have no fear because we have been made at peace with God through the blood of redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we can stand in confidence in the judgment the looking ahead at that final judgment for all of us, the condemned and the saved alike. God won't condemn those who are like his son. And practically speaking, the way we exhibit his love in this world will show that we have the spirit of Jesus, the the Holy Spirit within us. And it demonstrates that we are part of the collective body of Christ, his church. And so we can have confidence when we stand before our Father in final judgment. And that is because... As he is, as Christ is, so also are we in this world. Not of it, we walk in it, but we are not of this world. We are of him, we are in Christ. The tense that John is using here is also important because it doesn't say, so shall we also be or so should we also be, but in Christ we are in this world. As he is in Christ and with his Holy Spirit within us, we are enabled to love in such a way that demonstrates we are his and we are abiding in him and he in us. And a natural application question I think that comes out is this, 
Am I loving like Jesus? Am I loving like him? Does my life display any resemblance of the love of Jesus in this world? Because we are challenged daily in this kind of love. We are put to the test to see if this love is genuine and if this love is real in our lives. And perhaps the question is better asked of those who live with us, those who see us every day and interact with us every day. Do they see the love of Christ in my daily behavior? You know, because this doesn't just count when we're in the church. It doesn't just count when we're in our workplace. It counts even when we're at home. Sometimes we think we can take the gloves off and every, it's, a, it's a all, all things go in the home. And so we can then reveal our true selves. But if Christ is in you, even those within your family should be able to see this love enacted in, the, in your life. May not be perfect, but are you striving to love like Christ? And we know that Christ is the only one that loved perfectly 24-7. We will not be an exact representation because of that flesh nature that we battle with, but love is a fruit of the Spirit. Right? That's what we taught the kids this morning, and the fruit should be nurturing. It should be growing. We nurture it by studying God's Word and asking Him in prayer to help us exhibit this kind of love to others. But if there's no evidence that this love is genuine, then we need to go and examine the root cause. A root cause analysis, if you will. What are we really looking to as the source of this love in us? Jesus would tell you in Matthew twelve thirty three, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruits. I find that I am tested often, and those tests usually come when I'm physically exhausted. When I came back from Tanzania and uh, trying to struggle to reset my body clock, it was, it was quite a challenge, and I felt weary, and I felt uh, just a, a, a little like I was walking in the fog most of the week, and it seemed that um, at this time was when that love was challenged the most, and whether it really proved real in me. I have to say that maybe there was some conviction that came in my treatment of others, and I had to confess that. But know that the enemy is not going to let up. You know, he is going to challenge you. He is going to test this in you. You know, God will test these things in us as well, but how do we love when faced with these circumstances that are challenging, are testing it? This confidence in judgment is not for the unbeliever. And therefore, they should stand in fear. The one who does not know Christ, who is not in him, in judgment, there should be fear. There should be the fear of God's wrath that is coming towards them. Because there is this general love that God has for all the world, but one who is still in their unrepentant sin is under the wrath of God. And the believer does not need to stand in fear of God's wrath on the day of judgment. We are his. We're under the protection of his loving hand. You may ask even uh, here, though, is aren't we supposed to fear God? And yes, we are supposed to still fear God, but it is a different kind of fear for the one who is a believer. And I need to catch up in my notes here. I'm sorry, I got a little ahead of myself. <laughs> So yes, even for the believer, there should always be a reverential, a respectful fear of God in the sense that we know what our sin deserved. 
we know where we would be if we were standing before the judgment seat of God still in our sin and not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. His wrath would be coming to bear on us and that should strike an awesome fear in us but also a thankfulness for his gift of grace and mercy through Jesus Christ that saved us from his wrath. But still there is the cognizance of his wrath and what our sin deserved and what is caused. We know how seriously God deals with sin and we don't want the power of that wrath directed towards us. We are brought to confession and repentance by this fear, knowing we are his, but yet knowing what we were deserving of, what our sin was deserving of. So there is no more fear of impending judgment, but there should still be that reverential fear of God, a respect of his power, but we should not be living in fear of what others can do to us, not living in fear of the evil intentions of others because we are God's children. Scripture tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding, so the right fear, the biblical fear, it is necessary in our lives. However, we cannot draw near to God in love and run from him out of fear of judgment at the same time. Those two are incompatible. And that's what John is is referring to here. As Paul would say in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if we are to say that something is perfected, it means that something has reached its goal. That the goal of this love is it's, ha- it's having arrived in us, and it should mean that it is expressing itself in something in us. It's, it's in a practical way. If we are still in fear of God's judgment, then does that mean that we are not practicing biblical love for others as we should be doing? If we think that we are living in fear of everything, are we really able to show this kind of love? Is that what John is saying when he writes, the one who fears is not perfected in love? And we should be able to look back and see that prior to our salvation, there was a fear that was there of the punishment of wrath and standing before God in judgment. It was God, by the Holy Spirit, that brought conviction of sin to our hearts and the fear of that wrath and judgment. And God uses that fear to drive us to the cross. And it is in that moment where both fear and love come together. As we grow more in his love, as we are being sanctified in it, we grow more in the knowledge of his grace, growing in assurance, and we begin to see his love working itself out in our lives. And I wonder if this is what inspired John Newton in his song, Amazing Grace, when he wrote, "'Twas grace that caused my heart to fear, but grace my fears relieved." So John's point is that as God's love grows in your life, It should cast out fear of judgment that existed before. God's love flowing through you is evidence that you are born of God, and that evidence removes the fear of God's judgment. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So perfected love in us, a love that has arrived, is, is loving because he first loved us. I was reading in another commentator, and he said that Charles Spurgeon, on this verse alone, wrote six different sermons just on this one verse. So 
Uh, I probably won't do it justice here, but just in case we want to get prideful about our confidence before God as if uh, we were able to perfect ourselves somehow like a kind of work, uh, working out this love within ourselves of our own energy, of our own strength, we cannot expect to love like God if that's how we view it. That's a prideful kind of love. That's coming from the flesh as if we could will ourselves to love this way. No, we can only love this way because he loved us first and gave himself for us through Jesus Christ. So if we're having difficulty loving someone, and especially the one who has wronged us, then we need to come back and remind ourselves of this love that he has for us. And the love that at its apex saw itself in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. We did not deserve that love in any way. What we did deserve was his wrath and judgment. But yet, because of this great love towards us and his having saved us, we are now called to be the channel of this love that flows through us. The love that is enabled by his Holy Spirit. This is not a sin-affirming kind of love. We shouldn't think that this, this kind of love just allows people to sit comfortably in their sin when it sees sin. As believers in Jesus Christ and as the part of the fellowship of the body of Christ, when we see someone sinning, we need to call that out because of what sin does to a person, that it, it destroys them, it destroys us. We know what sin can do. So this is not the kind of, of love that affirms or just gives a pass to sin. We should definitely call it out, recognizing our own weaknesses as well. So perfective love, we've seen it has confidence on the day of judgment. We see that perfected love does not fear man. It does not fear what man can do to us. It rests in the love of God. Perfected love is not of our own doing. We love because he first loved us. And perfected love loves the brothers and sisters of Christ. And I know we've had this repeated over and over Um, You learned last week in in Wes's message, this love of the body, this love of the brethren of Christ. So positionally, we are loved by God, but practically, we should be seeing it manifested in how we relate to one another. In verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has not seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So the whole time in John's letter, he seems to be directing it to those who are already the children of God. He refers to us as little children often. He refers to us as the beloved of God. And it's pinpointing the believers, those who are called to be God's children. And as his children, we should recognize that we have been brought into a much larger family. We are siblings with each other as those who are reborn. I'm just as much a brother in Christ with those of you here in this room as I was a brother in Christ with those who were in Tanzania across the world. And wherever we find sincere and genuine believers through faith in Jesus Christ, we were united with them and they are our brothers and sisters. And we shouldn't complain to God that, say, I didn't pick that person to be my brother. I didn't pick them to be my sister. Like, God called them to be your brother and sister and therefore you should so show this agape love to them. The body of Christ is his church and as his children, we are to love the one another's. 
And it stands to reason that if you can't love your brother who is visible to you, is that what John's saying? You know, if you can't love the one who is there in front of you visibly, then you can't really be loving the invisible God, the one whom we can't see. It may be easy enough to give it lip service, you know, when we can say we just love God, and we don't necessarily have to exhibit that. I mean, we should because we're commanded to, but where it is really seen is in the physical presence of another believer, whether it is real or not. Because I can say, I love God, and then I can just kind of walk away from you and not do anything to express that I do love God in my heart with how I treat you. But when I actually do something that shows evidence that I really love you, and I'm not just giving it lip service, then that is the genuine kind of love. The love that gives us confidence before God in judgment is the same love that is validated by the love we have for one another. And as John often does, I don't think he's not done it in this book, um, where he's just straightforward with us. There's, there's no gray area between the black and white, between the good and evil. But in his straightforward way, he says that if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. There's no sugarcoating in that. This entire book has been an evaluation or an acid test I think maybe I gave this analogy a few Sundays back when we were confronted with one of these tests that John has for us is that when a metallurgist or someone wanting to know the genuineness of a metal that is found within some kind of geographic strata like a rock, they will apply some acid to that to to melt away or to erode all the uh, the un, in, ungenuine, I guess, kind of material that will then expose the true valuable metal. So you can see the book of John doing this to us continually, calling us to these evaluations where it's like that acid test is being applied to us and all that slough and stuff is falling away and it's going to expose what we truly are, what we truly see in our hearts. So here is another one of those where he's saying, if, if you say you love God, but you're hating your brother, you're giving no evidence that you truly love God. And so you're a liar, is what he's saying. And it's been a while back, but you may remember something similar that John wrote in 1 John 2, 4. He says, the one who says, I have come to know him, basically come to know God through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. If you say that you have come to know him, but you don't keep his commandments, he says it again, you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. And then again, in our reading today, well, I'm sorry, later on in that chapter, he says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And then here again is another acid test for us. If you say you love God, but you don't show it, you hate your brother, then you really don't love God. So we may say that we love God because God is invisible and it may be hard to really see a visible evidence of that profession, because God is invisible, and it may be hard to really see it, but we remember that Jesus says in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And his principal commandment is to love God, but then also what? To love others. That if we are truly obeying him and loving God as we should, then we are going to love others. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we can sum this up to say that genuine love for God necessarily will show itself in an observable love for others. If you don't practice sacrificial, committed love for others, 
you are revealing that you really don't love God. And the principle, I think, is straightforward as John has been with us. The love of God is validated by a love of our brethren, our brothers and sisters of Christ. And this love is not a nice suggestion. It's a command. And it's a serious commandment. And remember that God's commandment always comes prepackaged, so to speak. So it's not like he just commands us something and doesn't give us any ability to uphold that command and to live out that command in our lives. We've been emphasizing the power of the Holy Spirit the, the member of the triune Godhead that dwells within us, that joins us in with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we are enabled already. That's that prepackaged commandment that he gives us the ability to overcome. He gives us the ability to act out in love towards others. He's never asked us to do anything that he does not empower us to do. He is commanding a supernatural agape love which is only possible as we rely on his spirit who he has given each believer. So we can't shrug this off and claim to be a Christian. And too often we think that we have to be motivated by a feeling, you know, even thinking that if the feeling isn't there, then God is not directing us to do that. And that's just not the case. That's not the truth of Scripture. This is a love that is seen in action towards someone regardless of the emotional stirring that we feel in our heart towards them. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So the next time this is read at a wedding, somebody can stand up and say, hey, did you know that's a rebuke? <laughs> For those who aren't loving this way, I'm not, not inviting you to do that. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you that this is easy. This define love for us, it's not easy, but it's also not optional. We don't just get a pass on this kind of love. It is only by his grace and looking to the Holy Spirit to enable us can we really love this way. And just the fact that God commands us to love this way tells us that it is not going to be effortless or easy. God gave us this commandment and he didn't attach a list of exceptions for difficult cases. Like, love this way, but here's a list Here's Jesus, you don't necessarily have to love him this way. I give you an exception to him. No, he tells us to love everyone this way in a sacrificial kind of love. But he also did not leave you alone to do it on your own. As his child, you have his presence in you by his indwelling Holy Spirit. So perfected love in us, it gives us confidence in the day of judgment that we are his child, that we can stand boldly before his throne, knowing that we are covered in the righteousness of Christ, that he sees us and loves us like he loves his son. Perfected love takes away unbiblical fear, resulting in loving others as we should. Perfected love is had only through a relationship with God, the one who loved us first, and thereby we are able to love because he first loved us and perfected love loves the brethren, loves the brothers, sisters, and Christ. And it is motivated by a love of God and the loving of the one and others. 
the ones who he has given us here, the ones that we have fellowship with, and not just those in this church, brothers and sisters in Christ abroad, whether they're here, they're in Tanzania, or they're in Asia, we are our brothers and sisters, and we are to show love for one another, the overcoming agape kind of love. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have loved us with such an extravagant and all-inspiring love that we just stand uh, here and we just say thank you, God. Thank you for what you have done for us in Christ, that you loved us so much that you gave of yourself in Christ, that he could come and he could be that perfect example, that he could be tempted on all things and yet uh, attain his perfection because he was God, that he is you and represents you both essentially and morally. We recognize that we all have sinned and that we all fall short of your glory, that we are only made perfect in Christ, that we can only hope to stand before you in judgment with his righteousness um, clothed upon us. And God, thank you that you gave us redemption through him, that you took the sin that we were deserving of and that you put it upon your beloved son so that we could be declared righteous by you and his atoning sacrifice. And thank you, God, that you come to indwell us and that you give us the ability to love this way that we've just read about today, that you can help us to stand boldly, that you can help us to love others because, God, you have given us this love and you work it out in us. And particularly those maybe who come into mind right now that challenge this love within us. I know we all have those tests and maybe there's individual names that come to mind, God, we pray that you will just help us in those relationships to love them with a love that bears all things and endures all things and hopes in all things and, and just uh, gives of itself, God, regardless of if it's reciprocated. Help us to love that way. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we ask that you are glorified in the things that we've done and that we've said and we prayed and God, in every word that was spoken here, that if it wasn't of you, that you would just let that perish here and only the things that are of you remain. Lord, we praise you and thank you and ask this in Jesus' name, amen.